Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Sometimes I lay under the moon and thank God I'm breathing.
Welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, of course, on the NSN app. And I welcome those of you around the world who are tuned in on the NSN app, no matter where you may be, whether you're uh, working or on vacation or traveling or uh, driving, whatever the case is. I thank you for listening in on the app, and of course you can comment on the app. I don't think we got a comment yet this morning, which is unusual for the first half hour. So uh, anybody out there can now be the first commentor, commentator on the app, at the NSN app, and uh, wish good morning to all who are uh, watching those comments. Uh, you heard Cole Ish with uh, Adon Alam, and before that, uh, Hodo Al-Eretz. Umacha done by A.K.A. Pella. You heard the Maccabees and Hamalach. Mishorim Choir with the Yatzmach. Oseh Shalom and One Day done by the Maccabees and Regesh. Modaani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Thursday on this July the 28th. Day 22 in the month of Tammuz. The year 5776. We're in our three weeks um, a cappella slow format here at JM in the AM. 77 degrees, 82% humidity, winds are southwest at 3 miles per hour. Mostly sunny today with a high temperature of 92. Then tonight, thunderstorms late, a low 75. That might cool things off a bit since tomorrow we've got the morning thunderstorms and a high of just 81 degrees. Cooler than today. Yerushalayim is at 84. Uh, up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Masora enjoying 60 degrees, going up to 86 later on. And here in Jersey City, 77 degrees on a, um, what is today, Thursday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Well, today is the final day of the uh, Philadelphia Democratic Convention. Michael Fragan, our amazing political commentator, our amazing political analyst at the Nahum Siegel Network, has agreed 
uh, to join us coming up. Uh, we'll do that in the 8 o'clock hour, get his impressions on this race, which will really begin in earnest as debate season starts to heat up and uh, these candidates really start to uh, hit the road now that they are the official major party candidates for the 2016 presidency. So we'll have uh, August, September, and October, three full months, plus, of course, the final week before the election in November, uh, to witness what will be a very interesting race, a lot of campaigning, a lot of rhetoric, a lot of different things said one way and the other. And uh, these conventions, I think, were just the beginning of all that. So he'll help us uh, break it down coming up in the uh, third hour this morning here at JM in the AM. Plenty more, of course, as you uh, continue to tune in to us here at JM in the AM. And uh, we have an amazing day on our stream all day long with all of our great programming. <coughs> and we hope that um, you'll stick with us all through the day uh, for all of our great shows and the uh, three weeks music format as well. A reminder that tomorrow morning... Malcolm Holmline returns with the weekly update. We get a chance to ask him a whole variety of questions about news items from the last couple of weeks, plus, of course, uh, his impressions on these conventions. Uh, 7.40 Eastern Time tomorrow morning. And tune in from around the world. Use the NSN app. Tune in from around the world and uh, listen in as we discuss the events of the day and uh, get to the bottom of as many of the topics as we possibly can. So Malcolm Holmline tomorrow, 7.40 Eastern Time. That happens each Friday for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Chabad Choir and Avino Malkenu is next. Three weeks format continues on a Thursday. This is JM in the AM. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Just a drop of water in an endless sea. Avenue, a block, then two more. We went into 
a shop that read closed on the door. There was a minion in the back of a hardware store. Nine men waiting for one more. We ushered in the Shabbos with a beautiful song. The Chazan had a voice that was clear and strong. Shabbos was carried on a song. J.M. in the A.M. That's a great collection of uh, schlock rock off of schlock Appella. Uh, you heard Minion Man, Dust in the Wind, Rashi, and Peace of Mind, all done by Lenny and Company on schlock Appella, a.k.a. Pella had Rananu. You heard the Chabad Choir in there with Avinu Malkenu. Thursday morning, it's J.M. in the A.M. in a three-weeks format. Reminder tomorrow, return of the weekly update. Malcolm Holmline's going to join us. We'll go through the events of the last couple of weeks. Michael Fragan an hour from now as we analyze the conventions and the Jewish vote and uh, all the different things that you would expect us to discuss <laughs> uh, with you, this uh, wonderful audience, uh, in regard to the upcoming election, which now pits uh, officially Hillary versus Trump. Should be interesting, that's for sure. Mostly sunny with a high temperature of 92. We're at 77 degrees right now, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSNF. Got lights on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. 
on this Thursday. Reminder that the um, our stream all day long at jmnam.org and on the NSN app features our great Thursday programming. Full lineup, including uh, Charlie Harari and Allison Josephs and Miriam L. Wallach, and a live lunch that Avrami is going to be conducting today in three weeks format. Plus, Mayor Ferdig in an encore presentation of his um, very interesting stunt show starting at 1 p.m. this afternoon on the issue of conversions in the Jewish community. All happening through the day. Make sure to be tuned in at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Galaitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM and the AM. גליצה על השעה שתיים, כאן שיבל קרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. הוגש כתב אישום נגד האב החשוד בביצוע עבירות מין קשות בשתיים מבנותיו לאורך שנים. כתבתנו דור מימון. כתב האישום מייחס לאב עבירות מין חמורות, ביניהן אונס, מעשה סדום ומעשים מגונים, אותם ביצע במשך שנים בשתיים מבנותיו. בית המשפט המחוזי בירושלים הוציא צו איסור פרסום על כל הפרטים הנוספים בפרשה, והפרקליטות ביקשה לעצור את הנאשם עד תום ההליכים המשפטיים. במסגרת יישום המלצות ועדת ביטון לשילוב מורשת יהדות המזרח במערכת החינוך, הכריז שר החינוך בנט כי החל מהשנה הבאה תלמידי בתי הספר יצאו לטיולים שנתיים בערי פריפריה. כתבנו אורי איגרא שמע אותו בכנס באוניברסיטת בר אילן. את הליבה של מערך הטיולים נכניס כנושא מחייב סיורים בעיירות פיתוח ומושבים של בני עדות המזרח כחלק מההתיישבות של שנות החמישים בגליל ובנגב. אנחנו נמשיך כמובן לסייר בדגניה ובשדה בוקר, אך לצד זאת ילדי ישראל יבקרו גם בירוחם, דימונה ובית שאן. לאחר מאבק של מספר ימים בין הקואליציה לאופוזיציה סביב אופן אישור שינויים בתקציב הדו-שנתי, הגיעו הצדדים להבנות. כתבנו תומר ורון. בין היתר הוחלט שאם הממשלה תפספס בתחזיות ותיאלץ לבצע קיצוץ של אחוז בתקציבי משרדי הממשלה, ועדת הכספים תצטרך לאשר את אופן חלוקת הקיצוץ. אם אישור כזה לא יושג, יחול קיצוץ רוחבי בכל המשרדים. המשטרה עצרה חשוד בסחר בסמים לקטינים בגוש עציון, כתבנו אריאל זיגלר. החשוד, צעיר בן 18, מכר את הסמים לעשרות צעירים באחד מיישובי גוש עציון. במסגרת החקירה במשטרת מחוז שי נחזרו 19 מעורבים, רובם קטינים, שקנו ממנו את הסמים. כנגד החשוד הוגשו חמישה כתבי אישום, והפרקליטות דורשת שיישאר במעצר עד לתום ההליכים. ילד בן שבע מכרמיאל פצוע בינוני לאחר שמספריים חדרו לראשו. כתבנו קובי מנדל מציין שהוא פונה לבית החולים בנהריה על ידי צוות מגן דוד אדום, וכי ככל הנראה נפצע במהלך ריב עם אחותו. בעקבות גלי הפיגועים בצרפת, הרווה מורין, מי שהיה שר הביטחון של צרפת וכיום נשיא מחוז נורמנדי, מותח ביקורת על הטיפול של ממשלת צרפת בטרור, ואומר בריאיון מיוחד לגלית אלטשטיין, במלחמה יש לנהוג כמו במלחמה. Si nous sommes en guerre, il faut des mesures liées à cet état de guerre. Parce que ne rien faire, c'est menacer notre démocratie plus que de prendre des mesures. חוסר המעש מאיים על הדמוקרטיה של צרפת יותר מנקיטת אמצעים המוגדרים כלא דמוקרטיים. כך מורים. מזג האוויר אצלנו רגיל לעונה. אלה החדשות שעורכת חן רביד.
Gary Goldwagon Company off of Acapella's Soul with Hashem Loves You. Before that, you heard Hine done by A.K.A. Pella. Hine Matov, also done by A.K.A. Pella, to open up the hour after our news from Israel. Thursday morning with 77 degrees, mostly sunny, and a high temperature of 92. Tomorrow, just about 81. So this will be the final day of the 90-degree weather for a while. Thunderstorms late tonight, low 75 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 84. Up in Guilford, New York, a big greeting and hello and good morning to our friends at Camp Missoura. They're enjoying 60-degree weather, heading up to 86 later on. We're at 77 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JMNAM. Ten minutes away from Rabbi Goldwasser, 40 minutes away from Michael Fragan, who's going to join us. A great political analyst who I'm sure will shed some light on what's happening with the Trump versus Hillary campaign. Uh, as that uh, really, really uh, kicks into a fourth gear <laughs> um, after the conventions for the next three-plus months. It should be very interesting to see how things uh, go, especially as the debate season gets started. That could be very, uh, well, I, I was going to say informative, but I think more entertaining than informative, but we'll see. Uh, so Michael Fragan will join us coming up tomorrow. It's weekly update time. Malcolm Holmline returns. We will have a uh, discussion about the uh, news items of the last couple of weeks. Weekly update is 7.40 in the morning every Friday right here at JMA. If you can't uh, listen on the radio, you make sure to tune in on the NSN app from anywhere around the world and to listen as we discuss the uh, issues of the day. A summer three weeks Thursday here at JM in the AM as we continue with the Wise Studs.
J.M. in the A.M. That's uh, Barry Weber with Imesh Gachayich here on a three-weeks format Thursday. Uh, before that, you heard the uh, Y-Studs with Hashem Melech. RCCS, Rofei Cholom Cancer Society, um, invites you to the RCCS 14th Annual Barbecue, happening for the Flatbush Marine Park and Crown Heights communities on August the 2nd. That's Tuesday night. This coming Tuesday night. In front of the home of Penny and Yaffa Rand, that's on East 22nd Street in Brooklyn, New York. It starts at 7 p.m. Um, there'll be a grand raffle for a Gotham Dream Car Tour, driving six different exotic sports cars. Uh, plenty of great prizes. You'll help subsidize health insurance premiums for cancer-stricken patients in our community. Uh, information about the entire thing, rccscancer.org, rccscancer.org, uh, for more information. A reminder that on Wednesday, August 10th, uh, Hatzala is presenting uh, with the Flatbush Jewish Community Coalition um, a program entitled Be Prepared, Remain Calm, Respond. Know what to do before Hatzala arrives. The FJCC, in conjunction with Flatbush Hatzala, is hosting a free seminar for fathers in the community focusing on how to properly respond to children in critical situations where every moment counts, choking, bleeding, burns, etc. It's happening at the Flatbush Hot Solid Garage, N and Ocean Avenue, starting at 8.30 p.m. on Wednesday, August the 10th. Circle your calendars for that and uh, get ready to participate in that one. And um, a reminder that the premier... As we discussed with the Mrs. Lichtenstein when she, was, when she was in our studio earlier this week, the premiere of Daring to Rescue, Untold Stories of Jewish Heroism During the Holocaust. The premiere of this original riveting documentary happens this coming Tuesday night, August 2nd, at Gustavino's, 409 East 59th Street in New York City, with the first uh, Legacy Award Ceremony with guest speaker of Israel Mayor Lau, and uh, an entire uh, program dedicated to Jewish heroism during the Holocaust. Information 718-WITNESS, 718-WITNESS, or go to the web, projectwitnesspremier.org, projectwitnesspremier.org. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Echonish Masar of Zev, Rabbi Yosef Alevi, and Esther Bas, Rabbi Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We're going to be continuing with our series on the three weeks. We learn in Yerushalmi, Kol Dor She'ena Nivna Beisamikdosh B'yamov, any generation that is not successful in building the Beis Hamikdash in its days, Malin Olav Ki'ilu Hechrivu Biyamov. It is considered as though that generation has taken part in the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. The Sfasemis comments that this Chazal is surprising. We've had many generations of Tzadikim and Kedoshim when the Beis Hamikdash was not built in their days. Could we possibly say on those generations that they destroyed the Beis Hamikdash? The Sfasemis explains that each generation has certain pu'ulus to accomplish, specific avodas hakodesh, which is cumulative towards the end result of bringing the geula, the redemption. One could not realistically imagine that there is such a great generation in whose sole merit the redemption will be brought. Rather, Every generation has its responsibility to add yet another brick 
to the edifice in Shemaim, representing the structure of the Beis Hamikdash. The building continues throughout all the days of the Golos, like we say in Berchas Hamazon, Boine Yerushalayim, it's an ongoing activity. Therefore, the intent of this Chazal is that if there was no construction that took place in a specific generation, meaning that nothing specifically was done for the sake of the future Beis Hamikdash, then the Geula is yet delayed and that generation is in effect contributing to the Chorban, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. In our generation, we have to understand that we too are responsible to make our contribution towards the future binyan of the Beis Hamikdash. We have to do what's necessary. Certainly, Avas Yisrael, increasing the love that we have for each other, is an important step to take. There was a tailor once commissioned to stitch a set of identical suits for two brothers. Dressed in their new suits, the children went out and passed under a ledge where a number of cans of paint were set up. One of the cans of paint suddenly tipped over, completely coating one of the boys' new suit. It ruined it completely. His brother, however, got away with just a few splatters of paint on his suit. They quickly ran home. Understandably, the one who was totally covered with paint was very distressed. He cried bitterly. The other brother, however, was happy that his suit had been barely damaged. The father, seeing the boy's anguish, immediately called the tailor to fashion a new set of clothes for his son. The other son's suit was spot-cleaned. The Ben Ishchai explains that Bnei Yisrael could not be redeemed from Mitzrayim until they totally despaired of ever achieving any level of importance within the society of Mitzrayim. Once they had sunk to the lowest depths of spiritual pain and suffering, Hashem could no longer withhold their redemption. Just as the young boy's misfortune, the pain and the tears which he had, ultimately resulted in another set of new clothes. Says the Ben Ishchai, so too our future redemption can only be brought about with our sincere tears of distress and anguish. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
Thursday morning with Bitachon, Karibon, and Horeni from the West Side's Miro CD. Soul Food was the CD Horeni's from 77 degrees, mostly sunny, a high of 92. Good morning, it's JM and the AM in a three weeks format, and we are in a three weeks format all through the day at jmtheam.org and of course on the NSN app. Uh, Charlie Harari follows us at 9 o'clock this morning with the boardroom. Make sure to be tuned in as he presents between the 9 and the 9.30 this morning. Allison Josephs, Jew in the City at 10 o'clock. Miriam L. Wallach, and uh, That's Life coming up at 10.30. Avrami's going to host a three-weeks format live lunch starting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So make sure to be tuned in for that. And um, a reminder that tomorrow, uh, Malcolm Homeline's going to join us uh, just about 24 hours from now. Yeah, he'll join us. We'll have a uh, comprehensive look at the news of the last couple of weeks. We call it the weekly update here at JM in the AM. And um, you'll have an opportunity to hear that 7.40 Eastern Time tomorrow morning. If you can't catch it on the radio, make sure you have the NSN app. And um, that would be an amazing way an amazing way to, uh, to tune in and to enjoy the show. If you want to comment on the app, by the way, even during the weekly update, you can comment on the app. Yeah, we've, uh, we've actually taken suggestions for questions and comments from the uh, from the app at times. If you want to comment on the app at any time, just go to the home screen of the NSN app and comment away. We welcome those comments and contributions. JM in the AM, 13 minutes before the hour. That means 13 minutes away from Michael Fragan. Our great political analyst is going to help us break down what's been happening over the last couple of weeks in Cleveland and Philadelphia. Uh, Michael Fragan and uh, his take on the Trump versus Hillary campaign, which really, really, if you thought it began in earnest already, it really begins in earnest post-convention and getting into the debate season. Uh, so I'll have that for you coming up right here at JM in the AM.
Yeah. 
We'll try to do that uh, Mudgets Baruch Kel Elyon in its entirety coming up in hour number three here at JM in the AM. Uh, before that, Leif Tahar with Anim Zmirot. You heard uh, the cast of the Songs of Jerusalem album with Al-Zehaya. And Yossi Rosenberg had Al-Naharos Bavel. Eight o'clock in the morning on a Thursday. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Well, Michael Fragan is a great political analyst and commentator. Serves us at the Nahum Siegel Network very, very well. And he is with us live via telephone to explore some of the things happening over the last couple of weeks in Cleveland and Philadelphia, etc., and um, Michael's family just observed the uh, shloshim for his mother. So, Michael, I take this opportunity again to extend our condolences and best wishes to the entire family. Thank you very much, Nachum. I appreciate it. Uh, nice to have you on, and uh, nice to finally be toward the end of the second convention. <laughs> was, was there anything either last week in Cleveland or this week in Philadelphia that boggled your mind, where you said to yourself, man... This does not seem to be a good strategy, uh, a good thing for either party to, uh, you know, to present or a certain person to speak. Was there anything that was not orchestrated well, in your opinion? How much time do we have, Nahum? <laughs> I, mean, I don't think your show is long enough. Uh, the time slot is long enough to go through that list. Well, I'd love, I, I'd love to go through it. Go ahead. But, I, but I, let me start with this. If, if I pitched a book to you and I said... The theme of the book is to take the two most unpopular candidates, the two with the highest liabilities, the two with really the most vulnerable uh, lines of attack, and I'm going to put them, and I'm going to make them the nominees of these respective parties. You would say, what kind of, it's not a believable book. It's not a believable theme. I wouldn't go ahead and do that. But that's what we have here. I mean, we have two incredibly flawed, incredibly unpopular, incredibly unfavorable candidates uh, going up against each other in this general election. And, you know, and the electorate has every right to be in a revolt, and essentially what they are has every right to be in revolt against what's going on in election 2016. It also points to the fact that our election cycle is just way too long. No other country makes their people suffer like this. <laughs> okay. I got all that, and it's hard to disagree with any of that. But in terms of their presentation, they have the candidates that they have. They now have an opportunity to showcase them to the United States and the world in these two unique weeks. Uh, was there anything surprising to you about the way they did so? Well, let me, let me just say this objectively, and I'll say this as a Republican, but uh, you know, right now I'm not prepared to vote for either nominee, so just full, full disclosure here. Uh, the, I, I couldn't believe the fact it wasn't just that Melania Trump plagiarized words from Michelle Obama. That she clearly did. It's that the Trump campaign immediately went into a you know defense mode and denying it for two days right. before it actually the truth came out. And then of course it's like, well, this is a non-story. We don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, you know, on the, uh, that would be the major feature of the Republican side because it kind of sets the tone. Uh, the, the secondary feature, which I think will potentially has lingering negatives for the, on the Republican side, is the fact that going, the continual uh, attack on John Kasich. Mm. Yes, they were upset with him. Yes, he didn't. Uh, yes, maybe he didn't behave nicely. But more so than Ted Cruz, because Ted Cruz just you know does his own thing and he always has. 
the, the idea of going after John Kasich, who is the governor of Ohio, a state that they must win. There is no way that John Trump can win the presidency without Ohio. And to attack him continually uh, and have others attack him uh, on a consistent basis, it almost kind of set the theme of the convention as, well, you know, we're going to settle scores with our enemies. And, you know, of course, they, they, you know, there, there were some highlights. There's no question the Trump children performed very well. Um, there were a number of other speakers who I think performed very well. But there was a definitely, definitely a difference in star power between what we've seen in the Republican side versus the Democratic side. Right. I mean, look at last night's lineup on the, on the Democratic side. It right. was just quite incredible as far as star power. Uh, like them or not like them, there's no question that Joe Biden is a very likable, you know, uh, fellow, very likable politician, probably the most likable politician in America these days. Barack Obama is the president. Uh, Tim Kaine gave a passable speech. I don't think he's a great orator, but I thought it was decent. And I thought Mike Bloomberg, and I'm you know kind of biased in this direction, and you also have a relationship with him, did a masterful job at dismantling Donald Trump as only one billionaire can to another billionaire. Right. And, you know, you didn't have that on the Republican side. You had, you had you know, features of it, but they just didn't seem to be ready to put it, put it on. Having said all that, Hillary Clinton... Is, uh, is not a popular figure. She's not a trusted figure. And there is simmering tension and there is lingering tension, significant lingering tension, within the Democratic Party you on know, a number of issues. It's funny because um, the, the people that I know who've attended uh, the two conventions, not necessarily you know, the same people attending both, but you know, groups of people I've spoken to who are at both, the, the takeaway that they have from all this is how hated she is. How even yeah. among the Democratic Party, there's so many dissenters, so to speak. Obviously, this helps us understand the appeal of Bernie Sanders a lot more. I think it was more than just his politics and uh, and rhetoric. Uh, there's a very big anti-Hillary um, sentiment out there. Oh yeah, there certainly is, and you heard it, and you heard dissenters uh, out there. You heard people screaming. I mean, even during Leon Panetta's speech last evening, which. As for a content perspective, it was a great speech. It was an excellent uh, takedown of, of Trump, particularly with regard to the Russian hacking scandal and the idea that you would call on a foreign power to hack government emails. It's, 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 a, it's a little bit shocking that anybody, I mean, when you think about it, anybody would say it. And yet, at the same time, you have protesters screaming and trying to drown him out. Right. And yes, yes, he was Secretary of Defense, but you know, you have to, you have, to have respect for the country, and it's as if... You know, many of the people attending both conventions don't want the United States to have any institutions whatsoever. Let's just burn down the whole thing. Right. And you get that sentiment. And that sentiment is very strong on the Democratic side. Uh, whether there will be a reconciliation or whether, you know, some of these people just want to have their last gasp remains to be seen. Uh, well, you know, we will see how the electorate shakes out uh, in a couple weeks after the conventions and, you know, to see where people are going and where they're headed. Remember, right now, as far as polling is concerned, there are actually four candidates who are polling with a, with a percentage that's you know, high enough to kind of upset the balance in the election. There's the Libertarian and the Green Party candidates as well uh, who are both polling with you know, enough to register the polls. Right. Michael Fragan's with us talking, obviously, about the uh, 2016 election. What do you think of the Debbie Wasserman Schultz fiasco? No, I, I just I can't believe it took so long. It's, it, it, it's hard. I didn't need WikiLeaks or Russian hackers to confirm the fact that Debbie Wasserman Schultz was in the tank for Hillary Clinton. I think everybody knew that all along. She barely hit it. And 
it's almost as if they just somebody was kind of waiting for some event to happen, and this was the event, so they could finally they could finally oust her. But uh, she has been a polarizing figure for quite some time, and it's with a number of you know with a number of significant issues, and nobody really wanted to take it on. Um, it's uh, you know you look at she had a she had a relatively easy job. And she man- she managed to uh, you know she managed to mess it up and you know we'll see if that affects her reelection you know she does have a primary right. uh, against somebody that Bernie Sanders is supporting and let's see how much the mainstream party is willing to come to her defense uh, she was booed by her own delegation at a breakfast by the, by the Florida delegation breakfast these emails will definitely hurt her uh, it remains to be seen you know she is I mean I know a lot of people we all know a lot of people who live in that district you know that is the Miami. North Miami, you know, Jewish district, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, all the way into Broward County, uh, she will. She remains very popular amongst the uh, Jewish grandmothers uh, out there, and uh, so we'll. You know, let's see what. Let's see what that pretends for her in her election. Michael, uh, the Jewish vote. Uh, we essentially, and I would guess the candidates themselves at this point, basically know how this is going to go nationwide. But for those who think that for that reason. Uh, the Jewish vote is one that will not uh, get much attention. Uh, the reality is that some of the key states in this election do have a significant Jewish population, which might require these candidates to play to the Jewish crowd, so to speak. Do you agree, number one, that nationally we basically know how the vote's going to go, and that statewide it could be a factor? I think the Jewish vote is is definitely significant in this election if, you know, if, the, if the election ends up being competitive in the, you know, in these states. I mean, it clearly looks like it will be right now based on polling. Uh, but if you're Donald Trump, you need, you can't sacrifice any votes in key states like Florida and Ohio and Pennsylvania. You need, in order to win the states that have, a state like Pennsylvania that has gone blue, uh, consistently, you need all the votes and there is enough of a Jewish population there that you need it. In order to win Florida, being unpopular with Hispanics, you need Jews to cross over for you. Right. Uh, it, you know, Donald Trump says he's going to put New York into play. I don't see that based on the polling, but if that is the case, he needs Jewish votes in order to do that. Uh, so there, I don't see Donald Trump winning strategy without pulling over. You can't do that, getting 15% of the Jewish vote or 20% of the Jewish vote. You've got to do it with a much more significant number. Uh, whether he can do that remains to be seen. I don't know. I mean, Donald Trump released a list of a Jewish advisory committee, uh, some of people, you know, who in, in our orbit here, uh, but there were only three names on it, and that had been announced. And uh, all three are Orthodox, and two of them work for him. Uh, so is, you know, is he expanding that orbit? The traditional Republican supporters, meaning the, the RJC crowd, the big money Republicans, uh, even at this point, Sheldon Adelson have not Yes, they've been. You know, some of them have been supportive. Most of them have not been supportive. Uh, but at this point, uh, Sheldon Nielsen hasn't put up any money. So it really remains to be seen whether he is going to do it. He's certainly never done the traditional type of outreach to the Jewish community that's required uh, in order to do that. Hillary has been at it for quite some time, and you know we might not like her. At, you know, I'm sorry. Many in the community might not like her, and many might find her to be less than perfect on Israel issues. But uh, all in all, uh, she does represent a more moderate, uh, more international, more neoconservative foreign policy than does Donald Trump. Um, you know, Donald Trump definitely has run as an isolationist, except on Israel. Right. But on everything else, 
there's a lot in there to be very troubled by if you are a foreign policy hawk. Well, he has he has been hawkish in regard to ISIS. When ISIS comes up, for some reason, he's he's always uh, aggressive in his discussions about how tough he'll be and how he'll destroy them or lead an effort to destroy them. So I don't know if sure. What is it? Yeah, yeah that, that is true. I mean, but it's, it, it never goes more than one sentence, nothing. Right. It never goes more than, we're going to hit them hard, we're going to hit them fast, they're never going to know what happens. Yeah. Uh, um, that, that does not a foreign policy make. Uh, tell me about New York and New Jersey, uh, the majority of our listeners. Uh, what, what's the polling like for the two candidates in the two states? Uh, well, the, the, the last poll in New York that, uh, that I saw, public poll, was about 22 points in New York. Um, you know, New York is, is really a tale of, of, of two states, if you think about it. There's New York City and there's the rest of the state. If New York City was taken out of New York State, they, you know, just polled the rest of the state, Donald Trump actually really would have a fighting chance. But he would, he right now looks like he's going to do so poorly in New York City, as do most Republicans, that he really just can't, can't win. Of course, it's winner take all. New right. Jersey is closer, but not that close. I've seen 11 points, 10 points which is not really striking distance. If you're looking at the general election now and you're a political strategist, you know, people in my business, you're looking at what are my targets. And, you know, now he's kind of, despite the rhetoric of saying he's going to go to these various states, he is spending time in Ohio. He is spending time in Pennsylvania. He is going to the states that he needs to go to. He was in Toledo yesterday. So that, those are the places that he needs to win. This election, if he has a chance, you know, if he has the path to victory, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, his path to victory is the northern Rust Belt. Those states that have been hammering jobs that like him on trade and that really want a, who feel left out of the success that America has had economically over the last decade since the Great Recession. Those places that have never recovered from the Great Recession. Michael. And, go ahead. Go ahead. So that's the, uh, so that's his path to victory. His path to victory, if New York is in play, I would have to say that, that this race has already been, been won by Donald Trump. Wow. Uh, Michael Fragan is with us. Uh, what do you th- for those of us who were looking for a, I don't know, uh, for a um, for personalities, for uh, exciting uh, people to enter this arena, you know, at this stage as vice presidential nominees, uh, should we be disappointed at this point? Are the two vice presidential nominees relatively what we would call par of politicians? Great question, Malcolm. And if you look at them, it's kind of, on paper you would say these are both do-no-harm picks. I'm not going to harm myself at all with, any, with, any, uh, with these types of picks. I'm going to reassure my voters that I'm there. Uh, I would, there is a contrast between the two. Uh, you know, I've watched Mike Pence's career for quite some time. Since he's been in, been in the House, he was the head of what kind of formed what's known as the Republican Study Committee, which is a group before the conference shifted way to the right. That was the conservative gold standard within the within the uh, within within Capitol Hill amongst Republicans. He's been a staunch conservative. He's a very religious guy, and he is definitely a a very extraordinarily strong on Israel and and most of our issues. Uh, Mike Pence is has long is definitely a character contrast. To Donald Trump, right. and we'll have to, you know, we'll have to see how well they're able to work together and how well that that happens. I mean, there's no question. I am heartened by the idea that not just that Mike Pence is on the ticket, 
but that Mike Pence would accept the job of being the running mate. Um, that's definitely a, a plus if you're a certain if you if you want a little more gravitas within the Trump campaign. Right. Uh, on Tim Kaine, you know, a lot of people didn't want a lot of people within the Democratic Party didn't want Tim Kaine because of his reputation as a centrist. But if you look at Tim Kaine's you know story, you know, as it were, it, it's it's really it's really an impressive life story, as is my senses, but they the both have great personal narratives. And Tim Kaine, despite being a white man from Virginia, uh, you know, if, if you want to just play the straight-up demographic card, he speaks fluent Spanish, he spent time as a missionary in Honduras, he, he is a big proponent of gun control, which I think is a winning issue for the Democrats on a national level, not necessarily on, the, on a local level, but... He has been has a reputation as a centrist, and it basically says yes, uh, yes. We you know we, we not understand that there's a revolt on the left side of the party, but in order to win, uh, right. the, the Clinton campaign is saying we need a guy like Tim Kaine to the ticket. It also potentially puts Virginia out of reach right. for the Republicans, and you know once again the Republicans really have to win a state right. like Virginia in order to in order to. Uh, Win the presidency. Yeah, those the are the, thing those are the is, two things. Those are the two things that struck me. Um, one was the Virginia uh, angle, which you just mentioned, uh, and keeping it out of play for Republicans. The other was that uh, essentially uh, it was an admission by the Hillary campaign that this entire thing is going to come down to Florida, because uh, the announcement the following day was in Florida and in front of a majority Spanish-speaking population, uh, where they were in Florida International. And uh, it, it just—it seemed to me like um, you know, strategically, it was obvious that this is the state they have to go after, and it's the only way they can win. Yeah, the the there's no, it's Florida, and it's the Latino vote in Florida. Right. It's it's which is much Latino. larger, which is much larger, by the way, from the first Obama election. Oh, for sure, the Latino vote actually elsewhere continues to grow. It continues to be more significant, and you know, I've seen a statistic. That you know, Donald Trump leads amongst white men, I think, by double digits right now, and it's it's quite incredible the the demographic breakdown of how you know how the country continues to be more polarized. Uh, if, you know, after eight years of Obama, when you know we were hoping that it would be the opposite, the country is more polarized now. But it, it, Donald Trump would have to win like an astounding sixty-five to 70 percent of white men in order to win the election, based on his poor number, his poor. Uh, numbers right now amongst non-white men, or non-whites, I should say, in order to balance that. That's just an incredible number. It might be possible. Right now, he's within striking distance of that type of number. But it, it does point to a serious problem within our country. And, you know, we saw it at the convention. We're seeing it at the conventions. It's unfortunate that uh, the Republicans don't seem to acknowledge the problem of, you know, police violence and police, you know, overzealousness if you will, in, in, that we've all seen on camera, that should be troubling. And it's also important that the Democrats don't seem to acknowledge that, you know, blue lives matter, too. Um, you know, neither side seems to want to acknowledge each other. Yeah, that's true. Um, by the way, why do, why do so many of us <laughs> keep meeting people from the minority communities who are voting for Trump, yet he's still at 0% in that category nationwide? Uh, well, you're, you're meeting different people because I have to say, uh, I, I am not, and, you know, I travel, you know, in pretty, the, 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 the people that I see the most who right now who are supporting Trump are, are members of our community, the Orthodox Jewish community. Um, I don't, I'm not finding a lot of people out there, even amongst 
Republicans that I've worked with in the past who are supporting, who are, well, let's just say, even if they might vote for him, they don't feel comfortable supporting him. Are you looking forward to the debates? You mentioned earlier in this conversation that, for instance, on ISIS, it's usually a one-sentence, you know, tough answer, and tough meaning, you know, strong and aggressive answer, uh, and then nothing else after that. Uh, do, you, do you fear for Trump, if you would be a supporter of his, would you fear for Trump that he will not be able to give comprehensive answers in debate formats on issues like that? Uh, he has never felt the need to, and I don't think he'll start now. Uh, I think his, his debating strategy has been quite incredible and quite effective. Uh, you know, he walks into a debate, says what he wants to say, and claims victory afterward. And it's... Um, so far it's think, worked, huh? I think, I, I think he'll do the same thing, and it's worked very well for him. Uh, I, you know, I have to say the debates um, have been uh, great entertainment. And uh, they've brought great entertainment, and I watched many of them, if not most, you know, if not all of them. So I have to, I will say that, uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, you know, we'll see if people care. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is it doesn't seem that a lot of the electorate really cares about issues anymore. They just care about the system. And if you feel left out by the system and you feel left out by the economy and you feel left out, Donald Trump's your guy. Right. And that's, that's really what he has, you know, done. It is not the traditional way the Republicans have won votes in the past, although you have to say that the, the Republicans have actually only won the popular vote one time one time since the year 2000. Right. Um, I'm sorry. It's, it's go back even further than that. I'm sorry. They've only won the popular vote one time since 1988. Right. Um, when there were 16 Republicans, at what point did you think Trump would be gone? Would be gone? You mean out of the race? Yeah. I actually, I, I will say, I will count myself amongst those who did not take him seriously. Well, it's and, uh, this, that's, that's, that's bad on my part. This whole thing is unbelievable when you think about it. That he is that he is uh, the, the road that he took to defeat all those other Republican candidates, many of them traditional Republican candidates, of course, and to get to this point where he's within striking distance. I, I would assume you would today say that it's a toss-up, right? Uh, I will. I will say this. I think Donald Trump can win. Uh, I think that there's no question that the, these two candidates are kind of made for each other. Uh, Donald Trump, I think, could only beat Hillary Clinton. Uh, she wouldn't have, he would not have been able to beat Joe Biden or even Bernie Sanders. Wow. Uh, just because I think she is, she is so flawed as a candidate. And I think that Hillary Clinton could only beat Donald Trump. If you take, you know, maybe 14 of the other, uh, Republican candidates or 13 of them, I was, you know, I was thinking the other day that they would all beat her. And uh, so it's, it, it, it's out there. So I think Donald Trump can win, but his campaign right now is not made to win. He doesn't have enough money. He doesn't have enough staff. He doesn't have the right people. I mean, there are so many things that I can think of to go out and counter Mike Bloomberg's speech last night and, or you know, any of the others last night, and they're just not putting it out. The only person who seems to put out rapid response is Donald Trump on Twitter. So right. if he's not sit sitting there with his Twitter, uh, they don't seem to respond. Cruz, Hillary, you think Cruz would have won the election in November? I think just on a trust factor, um, Cruz might not be likable, but people trusted him. People right. saw that, you know, in the end, he was not a, you know, would have seen in the, in the end that he was a guy who was serious and not, you know, just did not bring the same flaws to the table. Uh, look, every race is different. Every race, is, you know, has its own uh, particularities. 
but I do think that uh, Ted Cruz would have been a stronger candidate well. than, uh, than, than Donald Trump. Uh, I think Donald Trump is, is very, very flawed, and as is Hillary. So they're both incredibly flawed. I'll start with that. And I'm going to maintain that. Isn't it interesting how so many people going into both conventions because of the, uh, you know, Trump factor in general and the dissent in the Republican Party toward him and the Sanders factor on the Democratic side, how there were predictions of, you know, brokered conventions or something that might appear like a brokered convention or an effort to have some type of brokered convention. It'll resemble Chicago 1968. And this whole system has become so cookie cutter, has become so predictable in terms of what to expect each and every night, that, you know, none of that came true. Well, there was a lot of intrigue on the Republican side. There was, uh, you know, depending on your perspective, the, there, there were, a, there seemed to have been, at least according to reports, there seemed to have been enough signatures to, <clears throat> to change the rules of the convention uh, coming out of, of, you know, the states. But the, you know, the chair uh, of the convention shut that down, didn't allow a vote, and... Uh, so therefore, you know, that's you think what, what happened you know, happened. There definitely was more intrigue on the Republican side than there was on the Democratic side. But there was some intrigue on the Democratic side, particularly around the platform, uh, issues with Israel and, uh, and, and the like. So there's always some intrigue behind the scenes. But what goes on on stage is generally carefully choreographed. Although, although clearly, uh, I think they, they messed up with regard to Cruz's speech. Right. And, uh, that was, uh, you know, I, I think that was an embarrassment for, for the, you know, for the party that night because the narrative, instead of Mike Pence's speech and everybody talking about Mike Pence, and I thought he gave an excellent speech, uh, everybody's talking about Ted Cruz, uh, and they're even cut, cutting into Donald Trump's, uh, lead up to his speech. Right. And there's people continuing to talk about Cruz, and that's exactly what Ted Cruz wanted. Yeah. I guess uh, inexperience in politics sometimes comes through, and uh, that may have been a key mistake on Trump's part. Well, I don't think he has. I don't think he has a campaign staff right now. To uh, you know, he needs to he needs to get a campaign operation that's going to equal that of Clinton in order to pull this off. Right. He could do it. It's not. Uh, it's not as if he he can't do it. But you know, haven't seen it so far, and you know, I think that's a, one big. Uh, you know, one takeaway. I mean, so, some of the stagecraft, some of the choreography you can see between the two conventions is, is significantly different. I mean, a, a, as well, I mean, let me just say, if you're Donald Trump, I mean, this, and I don't know if you've heard the story yet, but last night broke a story that Trump's Mar-a-Lago has applied for 76 visa waivers right. for foreign workers to the club uh, uh in order to, because they can't find Americans to do the job. Right. Now, if your whole campaign team, if you're in Toledo, Ohio last night, talking about bringing back jobs, but your own company is bringing, you know, is asking for visa waivers for 76 foreign workers, not the right message to be sending, <laughs> from my perspective. You know, it's just, you have, to, you have to think about all these things and the impact. Now, so far, those types of things have not impacted them at all. People just don't seem to say there's, there is a, you know, there's, there's a contradiction here. But, you know, maybe eventually they will. Yeah. Michael Fragan, political analyst and commentator for us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Much appreciated. Thank you, Nahum, and uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate the good wishes of all the listeners out there that I had after the passing of my mother. Yes, we should only share many, many happy occasions together. More coming up. It is a three weeks Thursday format. Here we are at JM in the AM. Yeah.
And the Mudgets, uh, Baruch Kelelion, beautiful selection here on a three weeks format. JM and the AM uh, Thursday morning broadcast. Tomorrow it's a weekly update. Malcolm Holmline's going to join us tomorrow morning, <coughs> seven forty Eastern time, for the weekly update. 
Uh, make sure to join us. We'll go through the events of the last couple of weeks. My thanks to Michael Fragan. Great analysis of the Trump-Hillary election. Sometimes, sometimes you need a conversation like that just to remind you how absurd the whole thing is. Absurd may be the wrong word. Just It's, it's amazing when you think about it, how we've gotten to this point with two relatively unpopular candidates. The uh, world premiere of the original riveting documentary, Daring to Rescue, happens on Tuesday night, uh, project, uh, a project of Project Witness. It's untold stories of Jewish heroism during the Holocaust. Uh, guest speaker of Israel Mayor Lau. There'll be a Legacy Awards ceremony and much, much more. Information, projectwitnesspremier.org. Projectwitnesspremier.org. Also, a reminder, there'll be a morning of learning on the theme of Yerushalayim in preparation for Tisha B'Av being held August the 7th at the Mizrahi at 249 East Broadway on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Guest speakers will include Rabbi Aviad Bodner and our very own Mayor Weingarten. Shacharis at 8.30, light breakfast sessions, etc. Everyone's invited. Information, Mizrahi.les at gmail.com, Mizrahi.les at gmail.com. Uh, Wednesday uh, morning, we are with Bike for Chai. This coming Wednesday, we're with Bike for Chai up in Connecticut. And um, it is amazing the effort that has been undertaken and what has been achieved so far in terms of fundraising for High Lifeline and Camp Simcha, they are, as of now, according to their website, at a, a total of 5.3, almost $5.4 million. We encourage everyone to go, choose a team, choose a rider, and participate in Bike for Chai. Uh, it's bike4chai.com, uh, bike4chai.com for information. We'll be there Wednesday morning with JM&AM, and then Thursday afternoon, We'll do a web show from the finish line, which is always amazing, to say the least. So we'll have that for you at uh, JMNAM and JMNAM.org. Uh, more coming up here at JMNAM. This is Kol Achai in a three-weeks format Thursday. <laughs>
Amazing acapella selections in a three weeks format Thursday. Plenty coming up on our stream at jmnam.org, including Charlie Harari with a brand new program of The Boardroom coming up next. 10 o'clock for Allison Josephs and Jew in the City. Miriam L. Wallach and That's Life happening at 10.30 this morning. 11 o'clock, Avrami hosts today's live lunch, acapella style. And uh, Mayor Fertig with that very interesting hour about conversions and converts to Judaism with some very, very special guests. He'll encore that in the stunt show hour between 1 and 2 o'clock Eastern time on our stream at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Achenu Israel and Achim brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard a listener sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org and on the NSN app. By the way, speaking of Israel, we're always talking about going back to the archives and listening to some of our great programming from Israel that took place last week and this past Monday. Check out the videos at NahumSiegel.com. On the home, home page of NahumSiegel.com, the brand newly designed, the brand newly designed uh, website, you will see um, four or five featured videos right there on the home page, uh, all from the uh, trip to Israel. Some of them, I would say all of them, but, but particularly some of them because of the view and the scene is simply are simply remarkable. So check them out and enjoy. Keep them on in the background in your office all day long and enjoy our great programming from Israel. Tomorrow, the weekly update and plenty more to close out the week. Make sure you're with us. Till then, Alchem Siegel reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.